Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play. Listening to the Dungeons and Dragons Lorecast, the best way for everyone from experienced dungeon masters to those curious about D&D to learn more about the worlds, creatures, and lore of Dungeons and Dragons. Hey Sergio. Hey Crit. Did you know it's my birthday? It is not. Don't take this away from me. <laughs> you are a liar and a thief. It feels like my birthday. Why does it feel like your birthday? Because we got a new D&D book. We do. <laughs> and something that our good friend Lupus Malum posted, uh, or like let us, uh, reminded us in the Dungeons and Dragons Robots Radio Discord that this is the last book that's currently scheduled. We've got a graphic novel coming out here pretty soon, but um, as far as source books, campaign settings, campaign guides, uh, rule supplements, this is this is it for a while. So we uh, need some, I need some some third party stuff to. Is it know. is it gonna be though? Because you know, right around the corner, do you know what happens next? What's that? Uh, a big D and D announcement here soon. Well, no, I'm saying like this is the, I mean, we, according to what, you know, Wizards of the Coast announced last year, we're going to have two, we're going to revisit two classic campaign settings from D&D's past in 2022. So obviously oh. those two are still like, you know, slated for this year, but we don't have anything firm, like, you know, we don't have a date to look forward to as of yet, as of this recording. And no, yeah, like it definitely gives me a bit, um, like I'm, I can already see him as once I like really like devour and get my get my full and like you know drain everything from this Call of the Nether Deep book that we're gonna discuss this this hour. Uh, I'm definitely gonna be feeding stuff, so I'm I'm already scouring the Dungeon Masters Guild for stuff. <laughs> well, let's get into today's topic. We're gonna let, be discussing. Let us, yes. The Critical Role Call of the Nether Deep campaign book that just came out. So obviously, if you're listening to this, you more than likely are familiar or at least have passing familiarity with Critical Role. It is the uh, Dungeons and Dragons live play juggernaut that launched in 2015. And since then, it's just become more popular and, and more lucrative. They have their own cartoon on Amazon Prime, which... Uh, they kickstarted them. They're, you know, they, the fan base essentially paid for that. Like they shopped it around, and everyone's like, "Ah, we we've seen a D and D cartoon before, and uh, that didn't go too well. That was forever ago." And so they're like, "Screw it, we'll do it ourselves." And uh, and kickstarted it, kickstarted it, kickstarted, kickstarted it, and uh, and then all of a sudden, you know. The streaming platforms are like, hey, uh, oh, hold on, what you got this guy going on over there? What's we want in on all that action? So yeah, they've got a um, they've got a rabid fan base known as Critters, and you know, honestly, you know, with uh, with Just Cause, it's an entertaining show, uh, and this book 
is, you know, it's, is, it's unlike uh, an adventure that I've seen in quite a while. It's, you know, I, when we were talking about it off, you know, off camera, off, off show, I had mentioned that I'm getting like shackled city vibes. Like, you know, I, uh, like the plot reminds me a lot of shackled city, but whereas shackled city was very much like straightforward, like, Hey, like, uh, like there's good and evil and, and good guys and bad guys. Uh, this is a lot more nuanced, which is very much, you know, Matt Mercer's kind of bag, you know, he, he is not really interested in the, the black and white, uh, dichotomy that, you know, D and D has historically been known for. He likes to tackle like that, that gray area, like, you know, like what, like the, the motivations and, and the, the, like I said, the nuances of, of why, why these characters are doing what they're doing. So I'm glad you said that because I, I'm glad I said it too. It's not smart. I've been thinking about something as of late and we're going to go off topic for a minute. I can't help but contribute a lot of the changes that are happening in D and D to critical role. And I say this because before critical role became as large as it did, uh, prime example monsters you would hardly ever see a monster race being allowed to be used let alone being used as a playable race unless it was like your goblins or your orcs or you know it's it's one of those things where you didn't see it before but critical world comes around and all of a sudden you know, we now have the, you know, Monsters in the Multiverse book, which really expands on a lot of things. We have, you know, Baldur's Gate. We, we've got, we're getting all these books that are, they're bringing monsters to the table for playable races. And even in the Monsters Multiverse, it even says that, you know, your character's imagination is their only limit. None of this would have really been put into text, I feel until critical wall walked in the scene and changed the rules. No, I, I can definitely agree with that. It's, it's, you know, it's something that, you know, like why, like, why shouldn't I be able to play an ogre or why shouldn't I be able to play this historically, um, uh, like antagonistic creature, mm-hmm. but you know, uh, you know, that's the whole thing. Like, you know, if you say I can be anything, you know, why can't I play this? Well, you know, why is this creature always chaotic evil? And why can't I play them as 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 a player kicker, as a hero? Mm-hmm. You you see it mostly in our tieflings, uh, and I'm talking about a specific blue tiefling. Can you name which one, Sergio? Is it the tiefling I play in my <laughs> Age of Worms campaign named no. Rasmataz? No, oh. no, 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 no. It's Jester. Come on. Oh yeah, well yeah, for sure. Obviously, I, I thought you were maybe like making a reference to yeah. Bumbling Four and the Almighty Crit, and I'm trying to no. think like, was there a blue we're not, tiefling? We're not that influential. No, not yet. <laughs> but uh, no, but... In, in all seriousness, you see that very first reflection in tieflings in D and D, where first it was you know their primary colors are shades of red or flush tones, right? And Critical Role. Matt Mercer's like, I don't care, be a blue blue tiefling, whatever. Then in the new book we get, shortly after this campaign's released, blue tieflings are a thing now. Yeah, and just like sort of um, 
like just like I said, getting away from that sort of rigid, like this is the way it always is to mm-hmm. a more uh, flexible, uh, you know, to a certain extent, you can kind of do whatever you want, you know, like as long as it makes sense, as long as it doesn't uh, like, oh, as long as it is an OP or as long as it doesn't, you know, uh, nerf anything, you know, to a, uh, to a detrimental degree, you know, have fun. That's, that's the whole point of this game is to have fun and to let your imagination run wild. I agree wholeheartedly. And as a fan, a super fan of homebrew DD, I welcome these changes that have been coming. And I mean, are this, coming is, in the this is stuff we've been doing anyway. <laughs> exactly. Now we just have real rules about it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we, like, this is like, you know, playing these kinds of creatures, you know, like, as opposed to like going through the, the hassle of, trying to you know play test a a character race a new character race ourselves you know because it's you can't just like throw you know stats on a creature and and that's it you know you got to make sure that it's not underpowered that's not overpowered mm-hmm. you got to like put this thing through the ringer and you know and that's that's the like it's like two sides of the same coin when it comes to homebrew like that's the fun of it but also like oh my gosh i just want to play the dang game already and so like yeah having this stuff um get be be official obviously and be more concrete um not only lets you play the game you know out right out the box one or you can continue to tweak it you can continue to homebrew like okay like i've got it i have a homebrew tiefling care uh race that i've been playing with for years uh, and I can mix and match, you know, like, oh, they ha- I have this racial ability that I actually like better. I think it works better than what is officially in canon. So I'm going to actually add that to like my campaign. And so, like I said, it just makes it makes the homebrew process even easier, I feel. Oh, yeah, wholeheartedly. But we digress. Let's talk about this new book, shall Let's we? Let's talk about the new book. It Ooh. is Critical Role Call of the nether deep so the setting obviously uh is the planet uh, exandria which is where critical the critical role campaigns are set uh the continents are Wildmount and marquette uh other continents that are on the planet such as taldori are not featured uh which you know i know taldori itself has uh has a book that was published not by wizards of the coast and so I'm guessing that's probably why this isn't included. I would, um, I would imagine the regions that are covered that you know that are in this in this adventure are uh, Jorhas, which is in Wildmount, and Ankarel, which is in Mar- uh, Marquette. Also uh, underneath Marquette, you have Kale Moro, which is an ancient city that was destroyed and sort of like lost to time. Uh, the Kale Moreau is what it's now known as. Its original name, like I said, has been lost the time. Uh, and then uh, some, somehow from Kale Moreau, there is a, a, a rift. There is a, there's a fissure in, the, in fa- the fabric of time itself, which allows uh, entry into the nether deep. So that's what we're dealing with as far as the setting goes. So, I mean, right off the bat, like I, I am interested in in new places that i've never seen before new places i've never been before and this is something that uh we haven't seen in a in a while from a D adventure 
which is aquatic combat, like aquatic settings, mm-hmm. which is very interesting. So something I want to mention before we get into aquatic combat, water pressure's a thing now. Water pressure's a thing. We've got rules for water pressure! <laughs> which, I mean, it's one of those things that you think about, like, you know, like, okay, well, obviously, like, you know, let's make this as realistic as possible, or at least let's make it, um, let's make it make as much sense as possible. The further down you, you know, you go into a, a body of water, the more pressure you're going to have. And so the, that, that sort of idea um, being codified and giving you rules for is, you know, like I said, like more, it's more advantageous, easier to play out the box instead of, um, you know, having to come up with the rules yourself. Oh, I agree wholeheartedly, sir. So this adventure, it starts you off at third level. So you can you can either have your have your party roll up characters at third level, or you can there is a uh, like a starter adventure. There's like a small adventure in the Wild Mount, the Explorer's Guide to Wild Mount book, that can serve as your like level one and level two, you know, uh, starter adventure to this. Otherwise, you can roll your characters up at third level. And by the end of it, uh, your characters will be at 13th level. So you'll be like right at the at the mid-range. Did you just say mid-range? I said mid-range. No. At level 10, D&D, characters become gods in 5e. <laughs> I'm excited. Uh, just a quick digression. I'm starting up a uh, with my Curse of Strahd group. While Curse, our Curse of Strahd campaign is on hiatus due to you know, life. Uh, I'm doing a, a mini campaign, uh, World Eaters Awakening, which is 17th level. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited for the players to really like let loose and like really do like some god type stuff. But so anyway, so uh, Call of the Nether Deep, the uh, first chapter. Um, it's just, so the the adventure starts off in Wild Mount. Uh, you spend some time there, and then you you brisk off to Marquette. Uh, at some point during the during the adventure and that's where you'll end up uh, spending the rest of your time so the first chapter as previously stated you start off in uh, Jigao and that will level you uh, what happens in Jigao will level you level you up to uh, fourth level from there the party travels to another part of wild mount uh, and then you spend a couple of levels there uh, but it isn't until level seven that you get to on Corel, which is in Marquette. A couple of levels worth of gaming there before it's you go underneath on Corel to Kale Moro at level nine. And then from at that point, it's essentially Act Three, the climax of the adventure. Uh, it's Nether Deep, it's Apothetheon, it's quote, all of Exandria hanging in the balance. So that's like a quick rundown. Like I said, uh, this uh, the first impressions. You know, this first impression uh, episode will be like spoilers light. You know, there will be some spoilers in there, but we're, we don't want to go like you know, um, uh, you know, note for note, guide you through what to expect from the adventure. We definitely want you to experience it for yourself and enjoy it because I think there's a lot to be. I mean, if it's anything like what you see in like the story of what you uh what you saw in the first two campaigns 
of critical role and what we're seeing in campaign three, you know, that's, you know, if, if we can expect anything like that in Call of the Nether Deep, which I feel they've, they've, you know, this is an adventure that is on, that is just about on par with, you know, what was, you know, what we've seen, you know, this, this, this is going to be a lot of fun to, 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 to play and to role play with. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, Though we're going to go spoiler light here, I want to talk about some of the new mechanics introduced besides water pressure. Of course. So we have Rudium Corruption. Yep, is a new Rudium one. Corruption. So I'm going to go over these uh, different levels of corruption and what they do. Let me get to my Rudium Corruption <laughs> notes. Because that's some gnarly stuff here. So... <clears throat> yeah, it's... it's at, so really quick so rudium is this new mineral that is found uh underneath uh on Corel in Kelmoro. you know uh we'll get into the like how it um how it gets to be there but it's it's this new new mineral this new this new thing on the periodic table that seemingly is very powerful but does have a flip side to it and if you have listened to any of Almighty Crit's magic items of the week, you know he likes to add, you know, a little bit, a uh, little bit of the twist, a little bit of the bad to go with the good. And so this is, I, I, it's no surprise that this is something that you that really tickles your fancy. <clears throat> so, some of the physical signs of Rudium uh, corruption are at level one of exhaustion. You have a red rash that appears, originating from the point of contact with the rudium. Level 2 exhaustion. Pulsing crimson veins spread across the creature's skin. Okay, I want that. <laughs> <laughs> That's not good. It's not good, no, though. It looks cool, though. Uh, level 3 exhaustion. Crimson blisters and boils appear on the creature's skin. Level 4 exhaustion. Stubby spurs of rudium. Crystal protrude from the creature's body. Ow. You have these spiky red crystals all over your body. Yay. Number five, level of exhaustion. The creature's crystal protrusion grows larger and more grotesque. So I can imagine this taking over almost an entire portion of a body. Right. On a creature. Especially since level six, the corruption kills the creature. You're dead. You're gone. There's no saving throws. There's no right home to mommy. There's nothing. You're dead. And... So to avoid getting corrupted by this uh, uh, rudium, you need a charisma saving throw. Uh, The DC depends on the strength of the actual piece of rudium that you have. And then a a failed throw is would knock you down one level of exhaustion. Mm -hmm. And so let's say you, you get a piece of rudium or even get like a rudium infused sword at some point, you're going to have to make a charisma saving throw to avoid being corrupted. You get corrupted. Boom, you have one level of exhaustion. So now you have this red rash. Each subsequent level that you take of exhaustion, either either way, one way or the other, so up or down, uh, well, you will take 1d10 psychic damage. And, oh, yeah. And you can't, like, you can't lose your exhaustion. It's not like you can go from level 2 to level 1 and then from level one to getting rid of it on its own, you you what you need to do to get rid to to no longer be corrupted at all. You need 
a wish spell or divine intervention. Mm-hmm. So this is some, this is some serious mm. business. This is some serious stuff right here. So the last thing I want to talk about with this is it doesn't just affect their physical aspects. It also affects them emotionally. It will start to corrupt their emotions and mind. And yep. in the book, it even says a player whose character is corrupted by rhodium can roleplay these symptoms however they wish. For example, that player could emphasize or amplify their character's flaws or choose a new flaw for their character. Yep. That's that's really where this sold me. Honestly. Because, I mean, it's not just mechanics-wise. It's also role-playing-wise. It, yeah. You know, it it has you know it has a foot in both, which in like like you know to piggyback on what you're saying, like yeah, like that's that's what I'm here for. Something that will definitely affect the gameplay as well as the role playing. Mm-hmm. And like you said before, you can make items out of this stuff. Yep, you sure can. Mm, we'll get if to that you later. Dare, if you dare. <laughs> so, with that being said, what do you want to talk about next, Sergio? Well, let's get into um, let's get into a little bit of the spoilers. Let's give you like a uh, an idea of what this uh, adventure is set around. Like what what you know uh, what's the backstory to this adventure to Call of the Nether Deep. So, in Exandria, during the founding, which is you know when the the planet was formed and everything was uh, you know trees and birds and and bees and people. Uh, the gods discovered this unknown power seeping, you know, not just into Exandria itself, but uh, like not in just to the world, but into the fabric of reality itself. And so they didn't, they weren't, they weren't sure what it was, but they knew it wasn't any good. So they had to get rid of it. They banished it and it ended up forming the dark moon on Exandria that's known as Rudis. So you've got uh, like a regular kind of moon and then you've got this sort of dark moon that's also um that also hovers in the sky and so what the gods also did to sort of um hide the fact that it was this weird unknown alien power what they did is sort of plant the seed the story that um it's just a regular moon but it's like an ill omen it's like a it's you know if you're born underneath it you know in its light you're unlucky any sort of like uh, business venture or adventure uh, like, uh, that that is undertaken under in its light is probably going to fail, and so it's just one of those like quirky things, like oh, like don't you know, it's like a superstitious thing, right? Uh, so, but that was kind of a half truth because, you know, the power which exists within the moon quote twists the fate of those who are born or embark on adventures while under its light. So. You know, they, it's definitely, you know, they say it's an ill omen, but, you know, that's not exactly a lie. You know, there, there is something to be said about stuff that happens underneath the light of Rudis. So you fast forward a few eons, toki, 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 blase, 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 yada, yada, yada. And we've got the calamity. Now the calamity, it's God against God, the good guys are known as the prime deities and the bad guys are the betrayer gods, which again, a quick digression, but why do bad guys always seem to have like cooler nicknames? <laughs> like the good gods were the prime deities. The bad guys are, were the betrayer gods. Like, that sounds like an awesome metal band I'd like to see. Uh, but anyways, so 
so they they start squabbling. They start a Donnybrook, um, and in steps in a young man named Alexian who was not only born under the light of Rudis. So like you know, remember that's supposed to be a bad thing. And yeah, Lupus says it sounds like Transformers. It I does. was like, just the, thinking that. <laughs> like and to me, like Decepticon sounds like a like, sounds like a very much cooler name. Um, like if not for nothing, but if you're like, you would, would you rather be an Autobot or a Decepticon? Like I don't know anything about Transformers. Like I have no, and like I have no, no, like, you know, history with them. And you ask me, do you want to be an Autobot or do you want to be a Decepticon? I'll be like, I want to be a Decepticon. That sounds awesome. <laughs> anyway. So, uh, Alexian is, is born under the light of Rudis. Remember that's supposed to be bad. Uh, but he's also born in Wildmount which happens just to be where the betrayer gods like have set up shop. So like, he's kind of like doubly like cursed Like he's looked upon as like, man, that kid, like, we don't want to mess with that kid, but he's not allowed. He's not about to let, you know, some fate mumbo jumbo uh, determine his future. So he fights for the prime deities. He fights on the battlefield for them. And this kid fights tough. This kid becomes a legend on the battlefield so much so that the prime deities like take a notice of him and he petitions the prime deities three times not once not twice but thrice three times he petitions them and three times they bless him and so he wore an amulet known as the jewel of three prayers as a symbol as a quote symbol of his divine covenants and we'll discuss the jewel of three prayers later on in the episode so he wears this this amulet he fights on the battlefield and he finds favor with the prime deities so much so that he essentially becomes their champion. Uh, he, uh, and because of this, uh, because of their favor and because of the divine energy that they have, that they are bestowing upon him, uh, he becomes nearly a god himself, known as Apothean. And so think like, like Hercules, sort of like, you know. More than a man, but less than a god. And so he's fighting the, the betrayer gods. Uh, and he finds himself in the city that is currently known as uh, Moreau, which, as I mentioned earlier in the show, its original name is Lost to Time. And here you've got elves and you've got the newly created orcs who were elves that were transformed by the blood of Grumsh the Ruiner. Which you know the Alexandria uses um, the 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 standard pantheon of gods that Dungeons and Dragons is famous for. So you've got Grooms, you've got Bane, you've got Corleone, you got you know like the heavy hitters, right? So Grooms uh, spills his blood and on elves and orcs are created. And at first there's some squabbling, but then they realize like, oh hey, like you know like we shouldn't fight, like we're uh, pretty much the same you know let's go ahead and just like be cool let's let's be chill and so the city becomes you know this it's prosperous it's it's, it's a great city uh Grooms is not trying to hear all that he's like i'm going to not only destroy this city uh i'm going to destroy this whole freaking continent and the way he's going to do that is he's going to go to the center of uh this city this you know this beautiful city in marquette and strike the earth with his divine spear. And, you know, the impact of which would literally destroy an entire, I mean, he's a God. I mean, you can't really, uh, you can't blame him. You can't, you know, fault the physics there. You know, if a God strikes 
uh, strikes land with a divine spear. It's probably going to mess some stuff up. Uh, but at the last second, in steps in Apothean to somewhat block the blow. So it's not a like a true strike. It's not a D20. Um, but it, you know, but like, you know, it definitely meets the AC of, of the Marquette soil. And so, you know, while it didn't kill, uh, while it didn't, um, kill everyone in Marquette, while it didn't destroy the continent, the force did in fact destroy the city and it got buried into the ground. So it like sunk into the earth and it turned the once lush land of Marquette into the barren desert that it is today. So this this once prosperous city sinks underground is lost to time. So think like a, like Atlantis, right? And Lupus brings up that Apotheosis is the elevation of to the status of God, which comes from uh, from from Greek from the the Greek the Greek language, the Greece, the country of Greece. For those of you who are interested in uh, geography, uh, geography and um, <laughs> uh, etymology, <clears throat> so. Um, it says, quote, in that moment of destruction and death, Apothe Apotheon's connection to Rudus flared to life. So this connection fueled by that, you know, aforementioned unknown alien power, uh, it forms a rift between the worlds and it forms a lightless realm of water, which then became known as the nether deep. And Apotheon, Apotheon was, has been trapped in this realm ever since. And he also has been forgotten in time. Like his the, the his legendary exploits, the uh, his his uh, you know fervor on the battlefield, you know his status as the god's champion has been lost to time. And so uh, while he's been in, while he's been in this imprisonment more or less, he fell into pretty much a coma. He fell into this deep sleep, and his power. As, is essentially seeping out into all of the nether deep. So basically the entire realm has this sort of like godlike power mixed in with it, which is what the rudium is. It's his divine power mixing with the nether deep and like and it's a like physical manifestation of it. So uh, centuries pass, Ankarel is built around the oasis, which stems from the nether deep. Uh, on top of the ruins of this once amazing city and uh you know everything like i said like like all that all what happened with with apothean what happened during um this port like with his exploits is lost the time you know he's forgotten essentially uh there is a group that's known as the allegiance of all sight they discover this physical manifestation of netherdeep's power you know, which is Rudium, and they try to keep it secret, but rumors get out, obviously, you know, you can't keep secrets in D&D. &D. Uh, and so you have a group known as the Consortium of the Vermilion Dream, which is like, there's, I bet they're really fancy. I bet they dress really fancy. Uh, they, go ahead. I was just going to say, <clears throat> can you just picture them in top hats and canes? In like really like like flowy <laughs> pants, like yeah, yes. just like hello, we're the consortium of the Vermilion Dream. Uh, so they're a group that's obsessed with the with the rudest moon, and so they hear rumors of this material and roll a d twenty on stealth, and they sneak into the excavation site, and so they're the ones who actually dub the mineral 
rudium because they feel that it's connected somehow to the moon. Uh, so they uh, continue to sneak into the excavation site to steal the mineral. Uh, and that's when they discover the rift into the nether deep. And they actually are able to travel inside of it. And they take a sample of, you know, the rudium from inside the nether deep with them. And this extraction, this, you know, like they're excavating the, the rudium that's actually, you know, on the material plane. It's not until they take the rudium from the nether deep that Apothean awakes and he is not happy. Uh, not only is he a bit emo over the fact that, um, you know, that he's been in prison for centuries, right? Um, but he's been forgotten. And so he's kind of, he's kind of in his feelings about that. He's kind of sad, like, hey, like I was kind of a big deal and now no one even knows about me. Uh, but he's also angry because he's like, all right, now that you found me, you're more interested in stealing this mineral and using it to your own selfish gains than freeing me. That's, that's not cool. Like, you know, like, uh, I, I deserve to be free. So he's, he's sad. He's angry. He's probably hungry. You know, you've been in prison for so long. Uh, so this intense emotional outpouring, uh, has two effects. The first of which was the, the rudium corruption that we discussed earlier in the episode. And the second effect that it has is that it attracts the attention of the prime deities who um, they have ever since the calamity, they, they imprisoned the betrayer gods away and they themselves have almost gone into like a self imprisonment. They have decided that it's too, it's, it's too dangerous for us to walk freely on Alexandria. We're going to shield ourselves away. We can still, um, you know, send, you know, our divine power, divine energy to people, but we, you know, we can sort of guide uh, circumstances in that way, but we can't take direct, you know, we can't, we can't take direct action on, on the, on the dealings of Alexandria. So, it attracts their attention, and but since they can no longer be on the planet, they all what they have to do is they use their divine act, their divine power to shake things up, to make things happen, and they do just that by sending the jewel of three prayers, which was the amulet that uh, Apothean uh, wore before his imprisonment, to a location right outside a city known as Jigal, where the adventure begins, in hopes that. You know, and a, a worthy adventurer or you know adventure party will find it, and that's where the adventure begins in Jigao. Dun dun dun! dun. I mean, it's a <laughs> it's a pretty gnarly like setup. I I dig it. Like I said, um, it's uh it's got it reminds me of Shackled City, but whereas Shackled City was like there's this like insane like demigod trapped underneath the city and an evil cult is trying to free him so they can destroy everything like this is a bit more nuanced you know like you know he's he's sad for very good reason but he's also angry so it's like kind of like hey like you know we're not sure what he's capable of due to like this intense emotional like to this grief that he has so before we go to our mid break i want to bring up one more mechanic so we can wrap our show up nice and pretty today we are introducing and some of you dms may have already introduced this into your game 
But a new mechanic to this particular campaign is the rivals mechanic. Yep. That's right. We're Pokemon in this, and you get rivals now. <laughs> you got uh, you got gym gym leaders. Is that what they're called? Gym gym. No 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 no. You know you get red. You get you know red. Well, gets... I'm saying like you have you have to like beat the gym leader, the gym king. I don't remember. I played like 30 minutes of Pokemon. Get out of here. Get out of here. It was. <laughs> it's. Well, I don't know, man. No. I mean, so, I, I I can see why it's popular. It's just not. It's awesome. Me. But anyway, we're not here to talk about Pokemon. We're here to talk about Why the not? new rival mechanic. So Is this not the Pokemon Lorecast? This is not the Pokemon Lorecast. So, rival mechanic. This is cool because at this point, it puts a little pressure on your players to yep. be the very best like no one ever was. But yep, I, exactly. See what I did there? I see. Yeah, it's the Pokemon song. <laughs> so, while your characters or your players are growing in power so too are the rivals and they're introduced at the very start of everything yeah like the the adventure starts during this sort of festival mm -hmm. where there are games and there are like uh, the feats of merit you know where you try to or it's, it's like a friendly somewhat friendly competition uh and the this group of rivals is also there for the same reason you are and like you said they essentially think of them as a a a party a campaign party that your dm runs so uh this is the the adventure is built ideally for five people and there are five rivals and obviously it, you know it says if if you don't have five players uh, or if you have more than five feel free to remove one of the rivals or feel free to have one of the rivals, you know, have a identical twin sort of thing or make, make one up on your own, but you want it essentially to be like a, like a mirror image of, of your campaign party. And, and yeah, so like, as you level up, as you, as your characters level up, so too do, uh, does the rival party, you know, cause essentially they're, they're on the same adventure you are. <laughs> And so you will you will interact with them several times throughout the throughout the throughout the book. The best part about your interactions with them, though, I think personally, is you can affect their attitudes towards you. Yeah, exactly. You can go, you can be uh, friendly with them, or all the way down to downright hostile, where as soon as you see each other, y'all are throwing bows, y'all are squabbling, y'all are scratching. <laughs> but yes i just wanted to bring up the mechanic because i thought it was extremely interesting and a very creative mechanic no it's very uh, cool um, and we'll get to the middle of the show we'll do that and when we come back we'll we'll just uh talk about each rival npc really quickly before we talk about the the monsters and uh and the magic items so let's go to the middle of the episode here we are in the middle of the episode Sergio hello <laughs> do me a favor always I will always, always do you a favor always. read me off those lovely list of people that pay us money every month to do this roll that beautiful bean footage well let's start off with our newest patron the dog indie 
Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for contributing. Thank you also to Jaco Harless, to Coffee Husky, to Daniel P, to Jonathan S, Text Star, Remington Cloutier, Lupus Malum, and Wolf the Sheepdog, who I'm going to single out in particular. Uh, please check your email or check your Patreon. We need some information from you so that we can send you your stickers, your sticker pack. I've got an envelope with some D&D Lorecast stickers with Wolf the Sheepdog's name all over them. Speaking of that, uh, those stickers have been sent out to all the patrons. Um, uh, T-shirts have been sent out. Uh, I sent out a, uh, a mug to Lupus for, uh, for being a uh, patron for six months. So we're slowly like getting getting on the ball for behind all this, and we apologize for uh, not doing so earlier. Uh, I uh, we recorded a bonus Patreon episode that uh, posted earlier this week. Like I said, we are definitely um, we'll thank you for your patience, and the, the best is yet to come. Dun, 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 dun. Speaking of the best, well, before before we speak oh, of the oh, best, okay, okay. Uh, Again, thank you so much for contributing financially. All those funds go into making the show better, into getting cool merch, into getting, uh, you know, uh, giveaway stuff for um, for the show. Uh, if you can, you can. If you are, are interested in donating financially, you can go to Patreon.com/slash D&D Lorecast. Tiers all the way from five to a hundred dollars. And uh, like I said, like it's this is the show just gets bigger and better. Uh, the more patrons we get. And what do you have there? What do you got there? Something. Something. Is it? We have a. We like. We, we are coming. This is episode ninety six. Oh, and we are. To, com- do I have to wait? We are coming up on episode one hundred, and you know, uh, it'd be easy to you know kick back and just sort of. Uh, congratulate ourselves for you know, kind of reminisce on a hundred episodes, pat ourselves on the back. But no, we're gonna we're gonna come with you with the content we uh, we do week in week out. But we do have some special announcements for episode one hundred, including a incredible giveaway. The details of which will we like I said we'll announce at episode one hundred, and a pretty uh, pretty fun announcement regarding our magic items of the week. Ha. <sighs> Fine, I guess I'll wait. In the meantime, wait. in the meantime, I want to give a second shout out and thank you to everybody who listens and everybody comes and checks us out on Twitch and subscribes on Twitch and shares it with friends and just so on and so forth. If you participate in this show in any capacity, even in hanging out in the Discord, I freaking love you. I no, yeah, appreciate exactly. You. If Jeez. if you if you're on the Patreon, if you watch us live on Twitch, if you sub on Twitch, mm-hmm. if you talk, you know, if you shoot the breeze with us on the Robots Radio Discord, if you interact with us on Twitter, uh, if you if all you do is just listen to us, you know, every week on your smartphone, you know, while you're working or while you're driving or while you're you know doing whatever, thank you, thank you so much. <sighs> Well, like I said, I, I I talk about D and D so much that you know I'd be doing this anyway, and so it's it's just it's it's cool that I'm able to like I was uh, talking to my buddies who I no longer live around that I, that I had a campaign with 
several uh like say four years ago and like when i uh when we started hosting the show i sent them a link and i was like man like like i'm doing this like you know i i went from being your dm to co-hosting a DD lore cast podcast it's very cool i like it so sergio yes would you like to give us a wonderful dmg's corner of the week so the dms guild you know while we're in between, you know, this is the call of the Nether Deep adventure is the uh, is the only official D and D source book, you know, campaign guide, anything official that is like actually has a date. We should be expecting some more stuff in the future. However, we don't have a confirmed date for anything. So, you know, if you if you need to if you need to quell if you need to satisfy that desire for D and D content. The, D, the Dungeon Masters Guild is going to be your best friend in the next couple of months. And what I'm going to suggest this time around, and I'm going to post a link to it in the chat, the Twitch chat right now. And of course, it'll the link to it will be in the show notes. This came to my attention when uh, I was on our Twitter and someone, rec- and someone was talking about an evil campaign, running an evil campaign with evil characters. And the aforementioned uh, campaign that I was talking about that, that I had a, a few years back, that was an evil campaign. So I was like, oh, I wonder what other people have to say about this. You know, get some tips, get some tricks, you know, stuff like that. And um, a gentleman uh, known as Anthony Joyce uh, said like, hey, I actually helped write a book that uh, has some information concerning running an evil campaign. And that book is called Darkhold, Secrets of the Zentarim. It is $14.95 and... As soon as he as soon as he said like, hey, there's there's tips on running an evil campaign. I'm like, I'm that's sold. I got you, and it is a beautiful book. I wish that there was a print on demand feature uh, option for this because this is something that I would love to have on my bookshelf. Uh, the the art is fantastic. It's a hundred. It's full color, 112 pages. It's a comprehensive history and guide to the Black Neck Network, including never before revealed lore from Ed Greenwood, creator of Forgotten Realms. So the Black Network, it's the most infamous organization in Faerun. It's, uh, you know, it's essentially, uh, they, like, they, they're the shot callers. They're the, the behind-the-scenes um, movers and shakers in Faerun. Uh, you know, they have the most notorious and nefarious reputation. So this includes, you know, a guide to the history, operations, and locations within Darkhold, uh, a stunning cutaway map of Darkhold Castle, new creatures and villains. You know, it's like I said, it's it is a beautiful looking book. Uh, I only wish I, I could have a physical copy of it. That's the only that's my only uh, complaint about it is that I can't actually hold it in my hand. Um, but yeah, the PDF though will only cost you fourteen ninety five, and it's a high recommend for me. Absolutely, super high, super high. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, it's, it's, you know, when, when I see content like this, uh, you know, it's like, man, like there are so many talented people creating content for D and D like we shouldn't ever have to like want for anything. Like there are so many talented people creating their own stuff, um, you know, that you can mix in with official stuff that you can use in place of, and, and here's the thing, like you could run, you could, you don't ever have to play an official D&D adventure ever. There's so many cool adventures and there's so many cool things on the DMs Guild. 
Agreed, sir. I love it. You know, we're both homebrew guys. <laughs> so like it's that 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 scratches the itch. I've for literally sure. lost myself for hours within the DMs guild. Not even Oh, and really lie. quickly, uh really quickly, there is a uh, very cool uh, there are three bundles. Uh Doctors Without Borders, uh Mega Bundle One, Mega Bundle Two, and also the player options uh bundle. Uh the first two will cost you nineteen ninety nine. Uh, each the player options will cost you $9.99 and uh, all proceeds will be donated to Doctors Without Borders to help uh, the, the the people of Ukraine that are that are you know living in a in a war zone right now. Um, and each uh, each uh, bundle is you know is worth like all the stuff that's inside of it. It's you know uh, at least five times five times worth what you'll be paying for it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, and obviously then the proceeds go to a good cause. But of course, so it's win-win. It is. It really is. I, I love honestly. I love it when the well. I love it when anything goes to a good cause. But I love it when the Dungeon Masters Guild gets involved with it. Yep. Um, I won't go too much into it, but I, I just love it when the community gives out to good causes. Same here. So, with all that being said, let us not delay the end of the show any longer. We're going to jump to it. Ah! There it is. The scream. The scream. It's a scream. Wilhelm. Wilhelm. <laughs> and uh, there's a couple of image- images of... Um, the Darkhold uh, mm. uh, PDF that I, I suggested from DMs Guild that are available, like you know, that are all like when you look it up on DMs Guild, and Lupus posted them to the uh, to the D and D Lorecast uh, Discord, and like yeah, they're they're beautiful. They look the artwork is great. It looks great. Can we get a physical copy now? Please, oh my god! <laughs> I, and like and I love I love being able to like hold dozens of books in the palm of my hand. But at the same time, like I, I gotta have like I love the crack of the spine. I gotta have something physical. I love it. I love it. I, um, I honestly cannot do digital. I have to do physical. I usually print out the stuff I get on the Dungeon Masters Guild. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean it's you know I, the the physical is great, but you know like I said the the convenience of being able just to have like oh, a yeah. single tablet, you know, with everything on it. But anyway, we digress once again. We digress once again. Good causes, so, love it, get involved. Uh, anyway. <laughs> so these really, uh, so really quick, these rival NPCs, like mm-hmm. I said, there's five of them. There's the de facto leader, uh, Ayo Jabe. Uh, she is a water genasi ranger, very impulsive, very hot-headed. Um, and so that is tempered in part by her childhood best friend, Dermot Werder, who is the cool-headed, rational one. Uh, he's a goblin cleric who is fiercely loyal to uh, Ao, uh, very thoughtful and very wise. Uh, like I see that dynamic very much like Kirk and Spock from Star Trek. Uh, filling out the um, the rival NPC group is Galsariad Ardith, which who is a Drow wizard. Uh, he's kind of a smartass who's too smart for his own good, essentially. Uh, very intelligent, but uh, kind of probably uh, he's insecure. Like he had, uh, he like and hides that 
like through his like smart smart aleck remarks and his, his quips uh there is irvin waste waker uh waste walker i'm sorry irvin is a human and uh unlike the previous three characters there isn't a class attached to him uh his stats uh um would be more ideal for a rogue however i with him and with uh with maggie keen eyes the ogre uh, that that finishes out the group who also doesn't have a class attached to her i feel like you know that like because of their stats rogue and barbarian but they don't explicitly state a class so i feel like you could kind of make them whatever you want so you can literally try to make them a like mirror image of the of your party's uh your camp uh party's uh party your campaign party so i see it as you could also go the opposite route and be a direct shall we say you could make them directly what your party's most powerful character's weakness is yeah exactly like you know you could counter yeah so if they're more uh like brute force you know, make them stealthy, make them spellcasters, like long range spellcasters. You can't get close to them. So yeah, that's a, that's like, so I, I like the fact that it's, there's some wiggle room there. So mm-hmm. you can kind of do a little bit of, you know, you can do what, what you feel is, will be most exciting, more fun. Uh, but yeah, so Irving is uh, young. He's only like 19, uh, young and brash. Uh, he's got a secret. He's got a bit of a secret. And I th- he, he, him and actually AEO sort of fancy uh, Galsariad. They kind of, you know, they they like they like they like some drow. They want some drow action, and then finally, uh, the aforementioned Maggie Keenies, uh, an ogre, uh, more than meets the eye. To to you know, full circle the whole Transformers thing. Uh, more than meets the eye to this ogre. Recently joined up with Ao and Dermot, uh, but they became fast friends, and she is already loyal to the end for these two. So we got some interesting dynamics here. <laughs> absolutely like i i mean like that when when i discovered that i was kind of like that you know this this whole idea of having a rival rival group that essentially uh is you know uh, a secondary group of characters that is striving for the same goal that you could either be friendly with or you know indifferent towards or even downright hostile uh toward i like that's cool that is a very cool idea so i'm, I'm digging that and i I, I can see that becoming a a game mechanic mm-hmm. that is used more and more frequently. Oh yeah. So after we've discussed rivals, normally I would want to discuss the magic items in this, but I don't want to because spoilers. There's a lot of spoilers. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say uh, with the jewel of three prayers. Uh, you know, we discussed it earlier. It's the amulet that apothean once wore uh if it's known as a vestige of divergence which in the critical role canon the critical role um like fandom uh is essentially a weapon of legacy which if you want to go back to a few episodes back we covered weapons of legacy which are weapons of great power of a great history behind them that only increase in power as you increase in power so the stronger you get, the stronger it gets. And Jewel of Three Prayers is exactly like is exactly that. So 
What else do we want to talk about, Sergio? We got some pretty cool freaking monsters. Like, <laughs> absolutely terrifying nightmare fuel monsters. Well, we're running low on time, so I want you to pick your top two. My top two. All right. Well, really quickly, uh, I don't want to go too in-depth into it, but there is um, a creature known as the Light Devourer, which uh, if you know what an angler fish looks like, it's like a real-life fish that has like a light bulb sticking out of its head. Creepiest thing you'll ever see. Somehow, the art designers of this book made the angler fish when they created the light devourer, made the angler like a creepier version of the angler fish. I don't know how they did it, but it, it's it's even creepier. But um, so let's talk about uh, let's talk about the slithering bloodfin, real quick. This uh, so the slithering bloodfin uh, it looks like a bloody eel with a shark's head, like this giant bloody eel, like red eel, like uh, that has uh, like a uh, like a claw like fangs and and sharp teeth essentially like what looks like a shark's head so it's got a bite attack and a tail attack pretty standard right uh both plus nine to hit however here is where it it gets tricky uh both attacks are at advantage if the target is missing any hp it doesn't explicitly say why that is but this creature it siphons life energy like it, it, it is able to absorb a life energy from its enemies. And so it could be argued that, you know, uh, this advantage on attacks is some sort of manifestation of that ability. So I'm going to go ahead and throw some conservation knowledge at you. Um, sharks track their prey via blood. The smell of blood. Ah, so it can I knew that, but didn't make the connection. Very <laughs> it very could good. be argued that either blood is the way that they track you, which why they get the advantage, or the potential of your life force being seeped out of those very same wounds and it's tracking your right. life force. Right. So either way, that to me, I I think we can safely assume that's why it yeah. has that advantage. Yeah, I mean like it Either, you know, either theory, you know, works to justify mm -hmm. the ability. Yeah. And so uh, the bite, it has a five foot range. It does 2d8 plus five piercing damage and also can possibly grapple you and uh, which will take an escape DC of 15. The tail has a 10 foot range and does 46 plus five bludgeoning damage. So you get bit and you uh, have to roll either an athletics or a um, acrobatics check to avoid being grappled, right? Uh, dealer's choice. You fail. The DC escape is 15. You fail. The slithering blood fin has a bonus action, the swallow. So if the creature is grappled, it uh, does the swallow at attack more or less, which is uh, also a plus nine to hit. So if that, you know, quote unquote attack hits, the creature is then swallowed, the, you know, the whoever is grappled, the, the creature, the player, and takes 46 necrotic damage at the start of its turn, which is then absorbed by the blood fin. 
So you roll 46, you roll a total of 14. That 14 HP you take in necrotic damage is then added to the slithering blood thins HP total. So it's absorb it literally absorbing like your life energy. See, I again, that's another thing I like about it is I like this about it because it very much mimics vampiric touch, I believe is the spell. Yeah. Um, but it adds its own little spin on it as well. So I do like that about it. Now let's say you are you're swallowed. If the blood fin takes and you the, so you're swallowed, you roll your 46 necrotic damage at the start of your turn, and then you can attack. If the blood fin takes 30 plus HP damage, or yeah, 30 plus uh, HP damage on a single turn from the swallowed creature, the blood fin must then make a DC 15 constitution saving throw, or it'll throw it up, throw up the creature, throw up the character. Uh, and so, uh, and then obviously, um, uh, the creature was then uh, within five feet. Well, it will will fall prone into a space within five feet. Well, five feet of the blood fin. So you get thrown up, and then you're like, you're, I mean, you're you're floating, you're floating in the water right next to it. And so, once the blood fin starts to you know whittle down on HP, once if once your DM lets you know that it's not looking good, it's looking pretty bad. At this point, you want to sort of give it give it some space because it, when killed, it has one final attack known as a death burst. The blood, the slithering blood fin will explode in a ten foot sphere of toxic blood. Anyone in that area must make a DC fifteen Constitution saving throw, or take three D six poison damage. And obviously, this is going to include any creature that it's it's currently swallowed. So. If your character swallowed, I shoot an arrow and it hit and it kills a blood fin and it explodes. You're going to be in that 10. You're literally in that 10, the middle of that 10 foot radius. So you have to make that con save or you take 3d6 dam- poison damage. That's ridiculous. While you were talking, I brought up a picture of this thing for everyone on Twitch to see. And this thing is gnarly looking. No, yeah. And. Okay, you want to talk gnarly looking? Like, and I, I posted photos last night as I was um, like, just like going through the book to the D and D Lorecast uh, channel on the Robots Radio Discord. You want to talk? You want to talk gnarly looking? Death Embrace. So you've got fangs. You've got sixty foot barbed tentacles, and not only that, but it's huge. There's like the literal. It's a huge. The size is huge in terms of D and D. So the AC is low, right? The AC is only 13, but it has a decent amount of HP, uh, 14 D 12 plus 56. Uh, but to cup in to sort of counteract the low AC, it's got great attacks plus this one amazing reaction. So keep in mind, this is a huge character. So it's going to take quite a few blocks or quite a few squares if a character starts their turn in the in Death Embrace's space, it must make a DC 16 Constitution saving throw. After two fails, the creature is petrified. And I don't know if you know anything about physics, but anything that's like rock that's heavy in water is going to sink. 
And we've already talked about how water pressure is now a thing uh, in D&D. So, you know, this might not seem too bad. Just like, okay, well, just don't start your turn in the death embraces space. Just that easy, right? Except it can use its tentacles to pull characters toward it at the start of each of its turns. Two tentacles attack with a plus 10 and a 60-foot range. A hit does 2d6 plus 6 piercing damage and 2d10 psychic damage. And once again, like the Slithering Bloodfin, you are at risk of being grappled. And you must make a, D6, uh, you must make a, a DC 16 to escape. And so once you have, and so that amazing reaction I was talking about earlier. So let's say that a uh, the death embrace has a player grappled. It has a body shield reaction where when it's hit, it can use a grappled character to shield itself, and the grappled character will instead take the damage. Yeah, this thing, no. <laughs> dude it's absolutely gnarly like it looks it looks gnarly af it plays uh you know it it can like i said that ac is low like i mean more than likely you're going to hit just about every roll but you gotta figure out a way to stay out of its range and with its tentacles being 60 foot i don't see how that's that's going to be possible you got to be really clever. You got to be really clever and have good strategy when you're taking on one of these things. Oh, yeah. it's. I showed a brief image while you were talking again. Uh, it looks to me like a jellyfish that was half devoured by a clam. And Lupus <laughs> says it looks like an evil flump, which, yeah, absolutely. Like Flumps, like, you know, a flump is something that you might um, – uh, That it looks like a Pokemon, actually. It looks like a nice Pokemon. And this thing, uh, uh, and this thing looks like, um, like uh, its evil twin. You know, I I have to kind of agree. It looks like the evil twin of a flump. Yeah, absolutely. So but yeah, so I mean, look, so those are just two of the uh, like I wanted to talk about the um, the uh, the scuttling uh, serpent maw. But uh, we'll have to go more in depth. Like this is going to have to be uh, a Patreon exclusive where we go further in depth on the mm-hmm. on the creatures, and and do some other and talk some more about this book because you know one hour can't do it justice. Oh no! Oh no! There's a lot to cover in it. the The map is massive. I mean, there's tons, and I just nope. We're gonna have to do a Patreon on it. <laughs> Well, with that being said, that brings us to the wrap-up. And you know what we get in the wrap-up? Give us that beautiful magic item of the week footage. Roll that beautiful magic Roll item of the week it. footage. So, I know we're not talking about Ravenloft in this episode. Uh, but, next week. But, but, I gotta stay on this, you know, Monster Hunter kit. Let's do it. Let's so go. I thought, what better way to incorporate both the new book and what we were previously discussing than a magical item that incorporates both elements? So here we go. Let's it's hear a it. simple ring. Just a simple ring? Made completely, completely out of that lovely little element we just got. Rudium. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, already when you put this ring on, you must make that lovely little save in order to wear it. Okay. You also must attune to this item and this item only. Ooh. Mm-hmm. If you attune to any other item, you will lose the attunement to this item and you will have to take three full days to reattune to it. So will this, um, if you're already attuned to something, will it uh, sort of like, like cancel those out? Will it? Yes. Will it end? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So the reason that you must be only attuned to this item is because this item psychically links you to your party members. You can communicate telepathically at any distance across any dimensional plane space and time space. In addition to this, you will also be granted a plus three attack bonus on all your attacks and your weapon that when utilized in that same hand is granted the same properties as the ring. Ah. So now if you strike an opponent with it, yeah, guess what? You're going to have to make that saving throw too, buddy. Right, right. It's, it, uh, it's, it's, is the juice worth the squeeze? Well, there's one more little juicy juice item on here. In favor of our wonderful, wonderful hunter kit, it also allows you to access one memory of the villain in question. Or, you can know the location of your doppelganger within the universe. Hmm. I think I'd want to know the memory. Like, can you like mm-hmm. pick and choose? Like, you I want to know. You can pick. I want to know memory. what they had for for dinner last yes. Wednesday. You can pick the most ridiculous one or helpful one, but you only get one choice. Once <laughs> or it's helpful. Used, it could it's be helpful. Done. It could be helpful. You know, it's, yeah. throw it out hints there. Or you could find out they had a sub uh, a meatball sandwich from Subway. <laughs> So, the name of this wonderful little item is none other than Rudy's Rudium Ring. Rudy's Rudium Ring. <laughs> Say that five times fast. No kidding. So, like I said, this is the only, this is probably the most crucial part of the item. It is the only item that you can attune to, which does take away a lot of magical items of major yeah. magical ability to you. However,. None of the items that we've mentioned in this monster kit you have to be attuned to to use. Exactly, for sure. So, so eh. it you know what? Yeah, to 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 complete the kit, you can still you can still have every item, including this, but anything else outside of it is going to be hit or miss for sure. Yeah, yeah. But it is a uh, is is a personal favorite item of mine. I just whipped that bad boy up, and I was like, I like this. <laughs> Yeah, this this mineral is 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 another welcome addition mm-hmm. to uh, to the D and D canon. In addition, like uh, like it's a uh, not only it's like uh, game mechanic wise, but role playing wise. Oh yeah, you know, same as with the rival the rival NPCs. Mm-hmm. I like it. There's a lot of there's a lot of cool, interesting ideas within Call of, Call of the Nether Deep. Mm-hmm. So one question I uh, was asked earlier by one of my players was prolonged exposure to this ring. I must clarify that there is no such thing as prolonged exposure to this ring. Once you've attuned to it and you've passed the DC save, you do not need to pass the DC save again. Okay, so... So it's it's one and done. 
Okay, so what if, what if you fail? If you fail, you're going to take that exhaustion. Okay, and yep. then and then you still have to, so you have to continue. Until once you, you have it succeed. on, you have to succeed. You have to succeed. Yep. So you could be walking around with like like with like red crystals sticking out of your neck mm-hmm. because uh, because of some bad rolls <laughs> or a rash. It's up to it's completely yeah. completely up to chance. So it is it is quite the powerful item. But let the dice decide. Yes. Speaking of dice, Sergio. Yes. Where can we find you? Where can we talk about your stuff? Where can we listen to your other show? Well, I uh, am the co-host of another show called Phantom University. We are barreling toward the end of season one. We are in the middle of our Batman arc where we're discussing the uh, the Tim Burton Batman movies as well as the new Batman 89 comic book series. The best Batman uh, movies. And also the newest Batman movie, which uh, we'll be discussing here in a couple of weeks. Uh, and then we end season one with Silent Hill. We'll be talking about the video games, the uh, the movies, the comics, uh, all of the lore behind Silent Hill. And uh, that, like I said, we're we're headed toward the end of season one. We, uh, you know, I've uh, Sean, uh, my co-host, just sold another book, so he's he's deep on edits with that. Uh, if you want to read his first book, it's called The Cosmology of Monsters. Available anywhere you can buy books. And, uh, and I've got this D&D lore cast to keep me busy. So, <laughs> you know, uh, you can definitely find me on, uh, on Twitter, uh, uh, on the D&D lore cast Twitter account. Uh, you can email me at dndlorecast at gmail.com. Uh, I've got personal stuff, but, I mean, unless you want to, you know, read uh, wrestling tweets, uh, <laughs> then you should probably just follow the, uh, the D&D lore cast uh, Twitter account. <sighs> I'm going to try to post one... D and D one, uh, I want to try to create one D and D meme a day. Oh, for the D and D Lorecast page. Yeah, yeah. Oh, ready for this? Ready? For I've already this. got. I'm two. I'm. I've already got two. <laughs> so, well, you ready for my nine podcasts? It's only nine. It's only nine. Uh, but I'm not gonna talk about all nine today. If you want to listen to any of my stuff, uh, we got tons of stuff. Uh, everything from other TTRPG games and systems to other lore casts. We have Legend of Zelda lore cast. We have the Resident Evil lore cast. Yes, we have all those wonderful shows. However, comma, I want to discuss a new show that's coming out soon. New yes. show? Do I, you, knew it was only, Sergio, I knew it wasn't only nine. Sergio, do you like monsters? I like monsters. Do you like mysteries? I like mysteries. Do you like the mythos? I like the mythos. Do you like in-depth explanations of all of these things? Yeah. Great. Then you're going to love the new podcast coming from none other than the lovely gals at the Fumbling for uh, Lovely Little Network. Ariel and Michelle are coming out with a new show. Ooh. Yes. And uh, the title is a work in progress. And we should have a first episode released hopefully by the end of this month. Um, so we'll, uh, we'll link all that down in show notes and everything else when it comes out. So this is like, like in real, like real life, quote unquote, like monster lore. Yes. Yes. Like, like Jersey devil. Yes. Sasquatch. Oh yes. yeah. I'm, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm ready for this. That's all you need to say, brother. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they'll be rolling out with that here soon. Um, it's going to be awesome. Um, I'm super stoked for it. They've been working on it for a while. 
behind the scenes and um yeah they're ready to release so stay tuned for that one um it's gonna be awesome and hopefully it will take off and find its way i know it will there's no doubt in my mind it will (laughs) lupus called it uh cryptozoology yep that's i love it the the study of of possibly uh you know, uh, imaginary creatures. Mm-hmm. I like it. I like it a lot. And their first, I will say the first couple of creatures that they're going to talk about. Um, the, I've never heard of them. I never heard of them. And I was immediately hooked when they were just sitting here at the table pitching it. I was I'm, like, I'm down. I'm I can't wait. I'm ready to go. <laughs> I'm super stoked. Um, so yeah, be on the lookout for that. I will announce it on our Twitter pages. I'll announce it in the Discord, and if you're a part of the Discord, you'll probably see a new chat room pop up soon. Woo! So. And definitely join that. The link to join is in the show notes as well. Uh, like we're always, I'm always on it. I work from home, so I've always got one monitor open to it. So I'm always quick to quick to jump in a conversation. Sergio's way quicker than I am. So I got I, yeah, ninety things going on though. So I yeah, the, I try. Uh, I do try to be there. the the Discord community that Tom is has built is mm-hmm. is great. I yeah. love it. So, but uh, all that being said, I think it's time for a clean, nice wrap up. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week to finish off our Ravenloft series with none other than Strahd himself. Thanks for listening to the Dungeons & Dragons Lorecast. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with a friend, following us on Twitter at DNDLorecast, or jumping on the Robots Radio Discord to chat more with us about Dungeons & Dragons. We'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to a Robots Radio podcast. Smart shows for interesting people. Check out all the shows at Robots Radio.